Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, from the borough of Queens, in the city of New York, this is the Epic Piecast with your hosts, Nelson Lugo and Schaefer the Dark Lord. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you from the beautiful and spacious Studio 6C in Astoria, Queens, this is the Epic Piecast, episode 47. I am your host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. Hello? Hello? Is anyone there? I'm the only one here. I'm seriously the only one here. Oh. Hey, buddy. Guest canceled. I'm going to be about an hour late. Start without me. LOL. So I guess I am your only host for the first half of this month's episode, at least. Hey folks, how you doing? Happy October. Lugo will be joining us shortly. I uh, I don't know what to do without him here. Um I guess I'm just going to roll with it. Uh normally on the show we talk about Batman, but there's two of us. So now there's one of us. So maybe one of us will talk about Batman. I know the last month we tore apart everything that DC has offered us in terms of Batman entertainment this summer, and uh, there was one thing that slipped under my radar that um, I managed to catch up on since last month's episode, and that was this. Telltale Games, the studio that creates the quick-time event-based games, such as The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, Back to the Future, etc., has released a Batman game, or rather the first chapter of an ongoing series of a Batman game. Now, like their other offerings, this is a game where you make decisions on the fly, uh, and your decisions have consequences later on down the road. I loved the Walking Dead games, or rather, I loved the first season of the Walking Dead game. I thought the second season of it was a bit lackluster, 
And the third unofficial season, which was just a Michonne mini uh, season, I thought was very disappointing. Didn't play The Wolf Among Us, didn't play Back to the Future. But I loved their format of these choose-your-own-adventure books, basically, for their uh, video games, at least for The Walking Dead. And now we have this format for a Batman game. Less hands-on action than the Arkham games, but still with the storytelling that we've come to trust from Telltale. I don't like it. I'm, I'm just not crazy about it. I like the story of it. At the core of it, there's a good story, but... I didn't feel like it was interactive enough for something that is Batman, which is typically associated with action. Sure, you make decisions, and sure, we're at least told via text prompts that these decisions are going to have consequences down the road. But I never felt the urgency in them. Now, I feel this works for something like The Walking Dead, especially because the Telltale Walking Dead games exist in the same universe as the comic books, not the television show. And the comic books aren't necessarily about action. They're more about hard choices, and terrible, heart-crushing tragedy. And it works in those games. You have to make quick decisions about who's going to get to eat with the, the few supplies you have. Who's going to get to live or die in a tense situation? Which character are you going to lie to to sugarcoat the terror that is coming? And I feel it works, and I've, I've felt wrapped by those. But in the Batman game, I don't feel like the decisions have much heft. Now, at the center of it, there's a great story, and I felt the whole time I wish I were just watching this story in an animated feature or reading this story in a comic book. It's great. The interactive parts are too spread out so that I feel that I'm watching a cartoon where I'm periodically interrupted and have to be involved in the game, or I feel like I'm playing a video game that is broken up by extremely long cutscenes. It's not great, but I do like the story that's going on, and because I'm a sucker for Batman, much like Lugo, my absent co-host, I will probably check out episode two. And then I'll decide if I'm going to stay on board for the rest of the season. Now, if you like those choose-your-own-adventure-type stories that are mostly based on quick-time events that have chains of events that are based on the decisions that you make, I would strongly recommend a two-year-old horror video game for the PS4 called Until Dawn, which I recently started playing. It is a video game that kind of explores all of the tropes of horror slashers of the 80s. You play as a group of teenagers alone at a cabin in the mountains, isolated, it's winter, and a crazed killer is coming around and picking them off one by one. But in this game, you feel like your decisions have some consequence. You can tell when a character leaves the story that you have made a choice that has permanently affected your gameplay experience. It also, the, the action portions of the game feel more... Um, urgent. I feel more invested in those. I'm on the edge of my seat playing this game to see what's going to happen next, and my controller is gripped tightly in my hands because I know that there is going to be a very sudden quick time event that comes. It's very reminiscent of the game Heavy Rain, which came out for the PS3 several years ago, a game that I adored, and it's got that kind of feel, and it's a great game to get you in the spirit for the Halloween season. So until dawn, check it out. It's a great deal of fun. Telltale, the Batman game, eh, maybe take a knee and wait until a couple of middle-aged dicks that 
record a podcast that you listen to weigh in on the conclusion of the season. All right. I killed a few minutes. That's definitely not going to fill a segment. What else can I do? Oh, I can talk about this. I recently completed work on a short film slash music video entitled A David Lynch Movie that is the directorial debut of Francine the Lucid Dream, a previous guest on the podcast. Now, I say short film slash music video because it's kind of a throwback to those long-form music videos of the 80s, like Michael Jackson's Thriller. There was a short version that MTV would play in rotation that was just the song. But, of course, the long version, directed by John Landis, was a great deal longer, and there was a narrative that occurred before and after and even in the middle of the actual song. What happened is Francine the Lucid Dream is the producer of the Pink Room Burlesque, and she produces those David Lynch-themed burlesque shows that I frequently host. She's done burlesque tributes to Blue Velvet, to Wild at Heart, and a lot of burlesque shows based on Twin Peaks, including an annual Miss Twin Peaks pageant. When I started hosting these shows years ago, I wrote a song that could be the theme song for her show that I could perform at the top of every show, entitled A David Lynch Movie, which is available on my Bandcamp on a free album of B-sides and remixes and covers called Junk Drawer. Now, Francine has always talked about making a music video for this song and thought it would be fun to get the members of the Pink Room cast together and have them actually play out scenes from David Lynch movies and play the characters that they play in the burlesque shows. Well, we started shooting this over a year ago, but the project got bigger and bigger, and there was just too much footage to shoot to make a four-minute music video. So it turned into a short film in which a music video happens. Yes, the song is four minutes long. The music video, short film, is 20 minutes long. And it's a great piece. And it's a very impressive piece of work for a first-time director. This film debuted this weekend at the Coney Island Film Festival and was met with uh, great pleasure and joy by the audience uh, that was in the screening I attended. There's also a fundraiser going on. Uh, Francine has launched a fundraiser to get the film finished and get it submitted to more uh, film festivals before it it is released online to the public. So if you're on the internet, you're going to have to wait a little bit to see it, but uh, it will be in circulation doing the film festival circuit in the coming months. I wish I could show it to you, but I can't for two reasons. One, it hasn't been released. Two, this is an audio-based program. But just trust me when I say that it's excellent. I wear a number of costumes. I believe I portray uh, at least nine different characters in this uh, film with a very unsettling and creepy narrative. It's, It's really something. Since I can't show it, I guess I can plug the Pink Room's next show, which is going to be Saturday, October 8th at the Parkside Lounge in New York City. It will be a burlesque tribute to Mulholland Drive. David Lynch's 2001 masterpiece. And in fact, the show coincides with the 15-year anniversary of the release of Mulholland Drive. Uh, I love this film. In fact, the first show I ever hosted for was a Mulholland Drive-themed show, which was done 
back in 2010. And she hasn't done Mulholland Drive since then. Her show has grown, developed an audience, developed a bigger cast, bigger and better production values. But she hasn't revisited Mulholland Drive. And now she's going to do it uh, in honor of the, re- the anniversary of the release of the film. It's going to be great. There are going to be burlesque acts based on the characters of Betty and Rita and the man behind Winkies. And I will be hosting as Adam Kesher, Justin Thoreau's character in the film. You know, a podcast is a difficult place to try to promote live entertainment or video entertainment since this is all audio. So since I have nothing else to do, perhaps to get you excited in the event that you will be in the New York City area on Saturday, October 8th, we'll try something like this. Now, this is the scene where Adam Kesher, the young hotshot Hollywood movie director in the film, he is trying to make a movie. And he keeps being met with setbacks. Uh, early in the movie, he has a, a an intimidating meeting with a pair of pushy producers who are telling them who he has to cast in his film. And when he disagrees and smashes up their limousine, he discovers that all of his bank accounts have been frozen. He also discovers that his wife is cheating on him with the pool boy, Billy Ray Cyrus. And he goes into hiding to a flophouse hotel in downtown Los Angeles. From there, he contacts his assistant, Cynthia, who tells him that, yes, he is broke because all of his accounts have been frozen, and that she has received a message from a mysterious person calling himself the Cowboy, who wants to meet with Adam to sort out this little problem, this little problem being his resistance to the studio's pressure. Tonight, the Epic Piecast players would like to present to you this scene from Mulholland Drive. A scene between Adam Kesher and the cowboy. Howdy. Howdy to you. Beautiful night. Yeah. Sure want to thank you for driving all the way up to see me from that nice hotel downtown. No problem? What's on your mind? Well now, here's a man who wants to get right down to it. Kind of anxious to get right to it, are you? <laughs> Whatever. A man's attitude. A man's attitude goes some ways. The way toward how his life will be. Is that something you might agree with? Sure. Now, did you answer because you thought that that's what I wanted to hear? Or did you think about what I said and answer because you truly believe that to be right? I agree with what you said. Truly. What I say. uh, That a man's attitude determines to a large extent how his life will be. So since you agree... You must be a person who does not care about the good life. How's that? Well, just stop for a little second and think about it. Can you do that for me? (laughs) Okay. I'm thinking. Nah. You're too busy being a smart aleck to be thinking. Now I want you to stop being a smart aleck and really think. Think. 
Can you try that for me? Look, where's this going? What do you want me to do? There's sometimes a buggy. How many drivers does a buggy have? One. So let's just say that I'm driving this buggy, and if you fix your attitude, you can ride along with me. Okay. I want you to go back to work tomorrow. You are recasting the lead actress anyway. Audition many girls for the part. When you see the girl that was shown to you earlier today, you will say, this is the girl. The rest of the cast can stay. That's up to you. But that lead girl is not up to you. Now, you will see me one more time if you do good. You will see me two more times if you do bad. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, this is a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. You know, and it's not just because my co-host isn't here. Uh, It's also because I just came to work in a shit mood today. I mean, I'm frequently angry. But I had anticipated discussing what's making me angry with Lugo tonight. But he's not here, so... I guess this is as good a time as any to introduce a new segment that we like to call What's Got Schaefer Angry? What's Got Schaefer Angry? Facebook Arguments When social media first entered our lives, it was a 21st century means to share information and connect with our friends. In the years since its arrival, it's devolved into little more than a device that allows us to fight with strangers about politics and movie trailers. Fighting online is as old as the internet, but Facebook has made it so accessible and easily presentable to an audience that it's become practically compulsory. And a lot of commenting culture has turned into a game of flashcards, with users falling over themselves to be the first to repeat an association already beaten to death by hundreds of others. When I say feminism, you say Tumblr. When I say Fedora, you say Friendzone. When I say J.J. Abrams, you say Lens Flares. When a status does launch a comment thread discussion, the debate mostly takes the form of two people with opposing stances on an issue lobbing bias-supporting links and sarcastic memes and insults at one another until one ultimately calls the other a Nazi, with both sides indulging in every logical fallacy they can, from false equivalents to straw men all the while. As an aside, shout out to whoever taught the MRAs the term ad hominem. Now please come back and teach these shitheads what the fuck it actually means. Now, these arguments are never waged with the intent of enlightening the other party or changing minds. That's futile. It's never going to happen. These arguments are done for the benefit of one's like-minded friends who eagerly drop in to throw supportive likes at what they deem the right side of history and deliver validation to the user. Now, to be clear, I am not suggesting that this is an us-versus-them dynamic and that my internet detractors are the only ones who do this. I am just as guilty of it myself. When I post a link to anything that includes the name Anita Sarkeesian, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm dangling bait at the rats in hopes of luring them out of the sewer so that my more eloquent and more woke friends will exterminate them. 
Now, some avow that social media fights have ruined civil discourse and have poisoned conversations that would otherwise be more productive and thoughtful if conducted face-to-face. However, the people who posture with that position on Facebook are suspect at best and utterly oblivious to irony at worst. Using Facebook interactions as a replacement for human contact is akin to chugging a bottle of Visine as a replacement for vitamin supplements. I, for one, don't use Facebook because I long for human interaction. In fact, these days, the only times when I'm actually eager for face-to-face human interaction is when I'm standing on an elevated platform and or holding a microphone. I mostly just want to be left alone, IRL. And yet, I'm angry. I'm angry that I get so invested in these fights that I take them home with me at the end of the day. That I will spend a subway commute home with clenched teeth, fuming because Kyle in Tennessee thinks that Black Lives Matter is racist against white people. These fights have become like every other drug I've ever abused. They provide an initial rush of euphoria that quickly crumbles into feelings of self-loathing and regret. But I know I'll keep on doing it. And I know that you will too. Because Facebook arguments are irresistible, and they are the fights that everybody keeps trying to win, in spite of the fact that nobody ever has, and nobody ever will. And that's why I'm angry. That's why Schaefer's angry! So how else uh, can I kill a little time? What do people do when they're alone with a microphone and they are self-indulgent? Oh! I can make a prank phone call! Yes! Yes, 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 yes. Hold on. Who do I have in my phone that I could make a prank phone call to? Who would be the funniest? There are a lot of dead people in my contacts. Um, and a lot of dead friendships. Uh, oh! Megaran! I want to make a prank phone call to Raheem Megaran, a.k.a. Random Jarbo. Uh, he does have my number, but luckily iPhone has a feature where you can block your number. So now all I have to do is hope that he answers <laughs> an unlisted number. Let's see what happens. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a prank phone call. To Megaran. Hello? Uh, good evening, sir. With whom am I speaking? Uh, this is Rahim. Hello, Rahim. My name is Kevin, and I'm calling from the U.S. Department of Weights and Measures. Uh, might you have a moment to discuss daylight savings time? Schaefer, is this you? No, this is Kevin from the U.S. Department of Weights and Measures. Hmm. Schaefer, seriously, I did not have time for this. Hello? Hello? Damn it. All right. That was a bust. Luckily, Megaran's a real good sport. Hopefully, he's a real good sport. What else can I do? Um, think, 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 think. What? Uh, 
what else do solo performers with a microphone do that's self-indulgent? Oh, I can tell a story. Storytelling is a very accessible stagecraft. Let me try my hand at that. Um, most of my stories are this one time I was so fucked up that dot, 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 and I can't finish the story because I was too fucked up to remember the rest of it. Um, oh, I could tell you a story about the time I got hit on by a famous person. And I can say time in the singular sense because that has only happened once. This story is called The Time I Got Hit On by a Celebrity. Maybe we'll have a little uh, ambient sound effects there. Oh, oh yeah, that's nice. This story begins with the same line that opened the Transformers animated feature from the 80s. The year is 2005. At this point, I'd been living in New York for one year. And I was living with my girlfriend, who later became my wife, and then later became my ex-wife. And in 2005, we were invited to an engagement party for a, a high school friend of my ex's. She was living in New York. She was very successful in her field. And she was engaged to a man who was also very successful in his field. And this man, because of his line of work, had a connection to a very famous woman. Now, I've always been somewhat fascinated with the cult of celebrities, so when my ex told me we were going to go to this engagement party, my first instinct was fear because I was always uncomfortable being around fancy people doing fancy things and always felt out of place like some dumb, filthy hick who didn't belong there. But at the same time, I was fascinated at the possibility of meeting a famous person. Not even a famous person I was a fan of, per se, but just any famous person is typically enough to get me excited. So we went, and it was very fancy, in a very fancy Manhattan apartment with very fancy catering and very fancy guests who were dressed very nicely. I was very self-conscious because I was wearing ill-fitting, cheap clothes, all I could muster to dress for appropriately for something like this. This is years before I started collecting suits, so the clothing that I had was shoddy and modest. So we went, and while we were there, I noticed that the celebrity was not in attendance. But I still tried to make small talk and with other uh, attendees and basically found myself pretending to be somebody I wasn't just so I wouldn't feel so incredibly insecure about my Oliver Twist-like status among all of these wealthy Manhattanites. And I did a fine job. I passed. I was killing the time and just basically looking forward to this being over so that I could go home. And as I was having that thought, she walked in. And I saw her across the room. I recognized her immediately because I had seen her on television many times, magazines, the internet. I'd seen her picture many times. But there she was, standing in person in this lightly populated party of about 20 people across the room. I tried not to stare and maintained a conversation with other guests and my ex. But eventually, these conversations kind of dried up and I found myself wandering throughout the room. I made my way to the front of the apartment where a wall of photographs were displayed from ceiling to floor. 
and I pretended to lose myself in the my own personal analysis of these photographs, where really I just was pretending to have my attention focused on something so I wouldn't have to pretend to be a social person at this event. I had been looking at a photograph of three women, shot in black and white, posed in such a way that one was on the floor, one was sitting on a chair, and one was standing. I noticed an age difference among all three of the women. And this voice appeared in my right ear and said, what do you think of this photograph? And I turned, and I found myself just inches away from the face of the aforementioned celebrity. I believe that this is a photograph of three generations of the same family. I believe this woman here is the grandmother, this one sitting in the chair is her daughter, and the woman sitting on the floor is the first woman's granddaughter. The woman was impressed. She squeezed my elbow and she said, You are correct. What's your name? And I told her, my name is Mark. And she told me her name, which was unnecessary. She said, are you having a good time? I said, I am having a good time. Are you? She said, well, I just arrived, but I can't stay long. What do you do for a living, Mark? And I've always had a problem with answering this question. What do I say? I'm a rapper. I'm a comic? I usually just go with, I'm an entertainer. I'm an entertainer. Oh. What kind of entertainment? She leaned in closer. Well, it's, there's some music. There's some comedy. Oh. She looked intrigued. Comedy, you say? Yes. I, uh, I... I have done stand-up from time to time, and sometimes I incorporate it into some of my performances. Before she had an opportunity to ask me a follow-up question, I immediately offered, Would you like to hear a joke? I don't know why I did this. Because it was met with an immediate, I would love to hear a joke. She squeezed my elbow again. I raced through my mind, looking it over all of my material, which was all kind of narrative-based and situational and didn't really lend itself to a short 10-second gag. Also, it was all pretty horrific material at that time, and I didn't really want to share any of this with her. So I searched my mind for my most favorite joke I'd ever heard. And it was a joke that was told to me by a child, and appropriate for another child. And yet I'd always loved this joke so much, so I pulled it up, rolled the dice and thought that this might entertain her. I turned to her and said, What did the zero say to the eight? She leaned in. I don't know, Mark. What did the zero say to the eight? I looked at her. It said, Nice belt. Her hand moved to the upper part of my arm and squeezed a bit tighter. She leaned in and feigned an exaggerated laugh and said, Oh, ho, ho, Mark, that is very funny. I said, why, thank you so much. She said, so if you're at the engagement party, you'll be at the wedding then, yes? I most certainly will be. And she said, terrific. I look forward to seeing you there. And almost as though it had already been planned, she turned toward the front door where a driver was waiting for her, and she left the party. 
Her last interaction with anybody at this engagement party for somebody who worked with her was this nonsense conversation with a child's joke with a poorly dressed stranger near a collection of photographs. She walked out the door and was gone. At this point, I'm just shaking because I was just hoping to talk to a celebrity, let alone feel that I had just been flirted with by a celebrity. I spun around and scanned the room looking for my ex's eyes to see if she had witnessed everything that went down. Sure enough, in a straight path across the room, our eyes met, and she looked at me with a puzzled look and mouthed the words, What the fuck? I was kind of proud of my achievement smugly nodded. Later that night when my ex and I arrived home, we had a conversation about what had happened again. And this conversation came up that I think happens among couples sometimes. is The list of celebrities one is allowed to cheat with should the opportunity arise. I knew a couple of hers and she knew a couple of mine. And while we reflected over the evening's events at home, I asked if I may add the woman from the party to the list. My ex enthusiastically agreed, saying, If there's an opportunity for you to sleep with her, you have to do it. So the joke became then that when I went to the wedding in a few weeks, that I would uh, follow up on our little meet-cute from weeks before. Now, I'm sad to say that it never happened. The wedding was a huge, extravagant affair with more than 100 guests in it giant ornate venue and I never even spoke to her at the party she did arrive with a date and there was one moment where she was with a group of friends and I was talking with my ex and a number of other people in a circle and my back was to the celebrity and her date had uh, left her to go get a drink and at some point during her conversation she turned to one of her friends and said where did my date go And of course, my ex and I both heard this, so I leaned over and said to my ex in a joking manner, though keep in mind I have a hard time controlling the level of my voice, especially when I'm drinking, I said to my ex, I'm right here! But when I glanced over my shoulder, I realized that the celebrity heard me say that. And the expression she gave me was not one of flirting, but one of disgust. She shuttled off into the party and that was the last I saw of her. I was mortified that I had embarrassed myself in such a way. Any dreams of consummating this new fantasy that had forged in conversations with my ex disintegrated. But I still always had the story. I still always had the story of the one time I got hit on by a celebrity. I still feel differently when I see her face in media these days. I always wonder what could have been. What could have happened? Say we'd found a secluded place at this wedding or perhaps a date after the wedding. I don't know. I'll never know. For that wedding was the last time that I ever saw Martha Stewart. True story. Right, I've got a scripted bit, got my rant corner, prank phone call, storytelling. You know, the only other thing I can think of that is 
typically associated with solo self-indulgence on a microphone is karaoke. Everybody likes karaoke. I mean, everybody who's performing karaoke likes karaoke. The audience might not like it so much, but what the hell are they doing in a karaoke bar if they don't like karaoke? You know what to hell with it. He's still late. If he's not going to show up, I'm going to do what I want to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to perform karaoke because the Epic Piecast has reached all new startling depths this evening. Let's see. What do I have in my karaoke library? No, no, no. Oh, the king. Everybody likes the king. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to perform my favorite song by Elvis Presley. And I would like to dedicate this one to my absent co-host, Nelson Lugo. Treat me like a fool, treat me mean and cruel, but love me. Break my faithful heart, tear it all apart, but love me. Beg and steal, beg and steal, just to feel, just to feel your heart. I want your heart beating close to mine, so close to mine. Well, if you ever go, darling, I'll be. Folks, thank you. You know, this is just getting obnoxious now. I was certain that he would be here by now, and he's not. And you know, of all of the things that piss me off, this... Oh! 
That sound means that my co-host is surely here. So we're going to collect him, get him up into the studio, and then he can explain his tardiness. In the meantime, folks, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back in just a moment. Wish I could say I see some stranger things. Wish I could say I see some stranger things, but I can't. What in the world is upside down? I don't know, but I must find out. It's not about will, but about our will to survive. I love my town. Hawkins, where nothing happens often. When you're free to go out walking, hop singing, we need to take precautions. Lights start to flicker, now I think I get the picture. He's on the other side, but still communicating with us. And I'm not insane, but these cats have got a lot to gain. Too many questions, I'ma need you to explain. It's government experiments going wrong. Grab the boat cutters, cause I need to know what's going on. Hopped on the ham radio. Trying to make some contact, hoping to reach Australia, but went beyond that. See, I want to see 11 win, but can't help but wonder what happened to the other 10. Everything is relative. Yo, they telling lies, abducting kids from birth and running tests until they're weaponized. Meanwhile, two of the brightest kids in town are missing here. Not even in the character to try and disappear. Yeah, Lucas is skeptical because some don't last. Making me recall the time back at Bloodstone Pass. We were abandoned like a couple orphans. Now my target is the freaking demagogue and anything is less important Now I'm sleeping with a gun under the pillow cautious Cause there's a being on the loose that could murk us I'm looking for the king, I'm ready for whatever Can't let this mind sever, we will keep it together But there's suspicious trucks on the block Getting rough on the block Don't even know who to trust on the block, yeah No more secrets, everything in the open Dark places illuminated, my spirits are broken But I'm in the suits interrogating Hating on anyone, investigating Hesitating while the troops escaping But we've been patient We find the gate and then we trap them Then we catch them Playing dirty, we going back to the upside down Cause the answers I must find out It's different now Anything I used to trust, I doubt I'm going Strange music, strange famous and Dr. Strange But I can't say I've ever seen a stranger thing Than the drama, the excitement, and the drain and pain That we all experienced any stranger things I like strange music, strange famous and Dr. But I can't say I've ever seen a stranger thing Than the drama, the excitement, and the training pain That we all experienced in any stranger things Yeah Ladies and gentlemen, your co-host on the program this month Is a New York City-based magician and storyteller you can currently catch him co-hosting the Epic Piecast on the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Please welcome to the program, Nelson Lugo. Hey, hey! Hello, internets. I'm here. There you are. There you, there you are, Schaefer, holding down the fort. You fucking hero, you. You know, I know that interviews aren't typically our... our Wait, you're interviewing me? ...strong suit, but um, I think I... I always start an interview strongly uh-huh. i always have like a, one question and then it and then it just falls apart right so it devolves I've, from there i've got yeah. one for this segment oh do you, you, have, you have, wait I, i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You have an actual question for me. Just one, and then I didn't write the rest of it. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Where the fuck have you been? <laughs> uh, well, uh, this might be a little too sort of inside uh, baseball for our listeners, but uh, the New York City subway system is a sort of a hodgepodge, ramshackle, shenanigan-filled Benny Hill uh, romp. Uh, and uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes the the MTA poops the bed, and uh, New Yorkers kind of suffer for it. So, I will agree that yeah. that the New York City subway system yeah. is an endless garbage scented nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the yes. thing that eventually makes me throw all of my stuff in boxes and yes. flee to literally anywhere else in the world, sure. is the MTA yeah. and the. Yeah constant headaches and anxiety that it gets it's me. it's it's kind of horrible i really uh, i can't think of a single uh either person or inanimate entity that i hold more feelings of disdain for <laughs> than the mta yeah it's it, it's uh at best i mean at best it works 75 percent of the time right that at best that said yeah I know that you live within walking distance. <laughs> well, I wasn't within walking distance. Oh, you uh, weren't coming from your place. No, no. Come on. Of course not. You were coming from one of your secret. My secret lair. Your, one of your meetings of the weird secret societies that you belong to that I'm not allowed to know about. Because <laughs> yes. I'm the dark, the dark wizard co- uh, council uh, <laughs> chapter 42. Well, excellent. You're here, though, now. Yes, I'm here. I Yay. made it. Yay. We Thank can start, God. We can start the show. I, Ladies and... I already did that part. I already did that part. What do you mean you did the part? You could just do the, and I am your other host. Wait, hold on. What do you mean you did the part? I filled... You told me in your text, yeah. start without me, and I know you were joking. That was a that was a joke, moron. Well, I don't have all night to record Wait. and then all night to edit so i went ahead and got started wait so you mean to tell me you filled a chunk's worth of material while i was on my way here i delivered and recorded the worst 40 minutes of entertainment <laughs> that this show has ever put online worst uh, i don't know I well, I, you're not going to get to hear it because we're on a time crunch now. Right. And so after we talk, I will edit the rest of it and yeah. send, and you will just hear it when it posts. But I, um, 40 minutes of which I am not very proud. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess uh, I, along with everyone else in the world, will judge you in real time when it drops on, uh, on uh, Thursday. That's great. I want you to know this, yeah. that, that whatever you think about what I did for the first 40 minutes. Okay. Um, 
that your opinion doesn't affect me. I don't care what you think about it. <laughs> okay. I'm basically I'm swinging for C Muldrow. <laughs> if C Muldrow approves of what I did, I will feel vindicated. If C Muldrow is disappointed in what I put uh-huh. on the air, then I will feel shame. Okay. Well, I, was, I guess she's like she's like the 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 groundhog on Groundhog's Day. You know, it's like if she sees her shadow, then uh, Schaefer did a bad job. We did. We threw so many metaphors into that. <laughs> I threw a sports one in. You threw in a holiday one. It's 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 crazy. It's just it's, it's just crazy. It's uh, this show has descended into chaos already. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess I'm here. Can we talk about stuff that I that I'm thinking about? Yo. That's wow. Okay, um, I don't. I don't know where to begin. Um, what did you talk about? I didn't talk about anything. Okay, so uh, can I talk about Batman? Uh, not if you're going to talk about the Batman Telltale game. Okay, uh, can I talk about video games? Uh, you can, but not if you're going to talk about Until Dawn. <sighs> can we talk about Netflix shows? We can totally talk about oh, Netflix shows. Okay, good. So I want to. I want to briefly touch upon. The two sort of hit shows right now, which are uh, Stranger Things mm-hmm. and The Get Down. Both Netflix originals. Netflix originals. Uh, Stranger Things, the breakaway hit of the, I guess, what, the summer? This, the fall? I guess, I don't know. What, what would you call that? The fall Netflix season? I think it was the summer. I think it, it premiered in the summer. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, and a, you, just a runaway hit. A was, runaway hit. Just as, a, a, pheno- like a, a phenomenon, a cultural you, you, phenomenon. You've surely read the things that were uh, written, that the Duffer Brothers, the creators yes. of the series, pitched it to everybody. every network they could. And Everyone they can think of. Everybody walked away from it. And Netflix picked it up and got an incredible, just, just, just opened up a yeah. treasure chest. And now everybody loves it. People are are running to Netflix to subscribe because they've yeah. heard so much about it online. And, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's uh, a system seller, as they say. Those kids are all stars now. I know. All those kids, <laughs> those kids are fucking world famous now. They just show up on everything, and every time they do, they're just they're just precious and perfect, and I want them to never grow up <laughs> because they're going to end up growing up and turning into a bunch of tragic Corey Feldmans. Ooh. I want them to stay this age forever because they are perfect and charming and endearing and everything they do. Yeah. I just I can't get enough of it. I I find myself googling their talk show appearances <laughs> just so I can hear what. Um, so this is this is a perfect example. You have been gaga over this show. You latch yes. onto this show immediately. Yes, and you were in from episode one, second one of the first episode. You were in. I was sending you texts halfway through the yeah. first episode yeah. saying, "Fix your life." <laughs> Yes. Yes. Now, I would go so far as to say that a lo- a large part of that is uh, like maybe threefold. One, you are a huge, huge lover of nostalgia. Oh my God, that's you, a an understatement. You you basically sop up nostalgia with a giant biscuit and gravy kind of meal, and then shove it into your gaping maw, hoping you can capture some some quintessence of of the the childhood memories you hold so dear okay um, and then on top of that you have a deep deep cut love for really strange television like twin peaks and and uh, sure, david sure. lynch and things like that uh and and also you love sort of like these 
suspenseful sort of monster movies. Yes. You know, so basically this is the, this is the perfect Shape of the Dark Lord trifecta of entertainment. This yeah. spoke directly to you are the target demographic for this show. I couldn't be more the target <laughs> demographic. I mean, if I could just before you get to your the thing that yeah. you're about to say, when I, yes, I am very very prone to yeah. bits of nostalgia and I should say fits. I'm prone to fits of nostalgia. <laughs> That's actually great. Um, and so, yeah, this this show, it, it hits all of the things that I like. It's got suspense. It's got science fiction, horror, and a bunch of plucky children mm-hmm. trying to go against a government agency, whatever. It's got everything that I already love. Yeah. But I connect to this show on such a deep level. It takes place in 1983. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a, a very specific time. A very specific time. Yeah. A, a very specific time. 1983. It's a group of nine-year-old boys. Uh-huh. Uh, and let's talk specifically about Will Byers, the 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 child who goes missing early yeah. on in the series. Yeah. Will Byers is a nine-year-old boy mm-hmm. in 1983. Yeah. Who is uh, kind of picked on at school because he's kind of weak. And he's just really fascinated by his nerdy interests. He draws pictures of wizards. He plays D&D with his friends. <laughs> and he's kind of an outcast. And yeah. his mom even describes him at times as saying, Will's just kind of sensitive. Yeah. Now, Will lives with his single mother mm-hmm. who is working multiple jobs and isn't home a lot because she's trying to support her family. Sure. Provide, and, yeah. And his older brother, who is about 10 years older than him. Yeah, much it, older. Yeah, he's 10 years. So he's like 19 and 9. Yeah. Those are the, their ages. And they live in a small, rural, Midwestern town. Yeah. I was <laughs> Will Byers <laughs> in 1983. Like, ev- all of those details, yeah. that was exactly my reality growing up. I was a weird outcast who was picked on, and I just lost myself in fantasy and wizards and drawing. And I had a super stressed out mom who was trying her goddamn best to, like, to just take care of Myself, my yeah. older brother, who was 10 years older than me, and we lived in a small town in Iowa, not yeah. Indiana, but yeah. close enough. Well, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Like, sort of middle middle America, small town USA. Meanwhile, the story goes through hitting notes from E.T. and the Goonies and Poltergeist and basically everything yeah, I everything. grew up yeah. loving so much that, I mean, the show made me cry a number of times because I guess the nostalgia hits so deep. Now, not, I'm not even talking about the emotional sad scenes. Just when they were just building this world and setting the tone, there mm-hmm. was just so much of about it, so much about it that was so incredibly familiar to me. Yeah, that, yeah, um, it, it it struck more than several chords for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, In fact, when I was watching it, I was thinking, "Oh, I bet Schaefer really <laughs> got into this moment." I, or I was thinking, "Oh my God, that's that's exactly how Schaefer described his small town." And like throughout throughout the whole thing, I was I was literally imagining you watching it and it, enjoying your my imagined reaction of you watching it. I mean, the 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 performance of his mother, yeah. jo- uh, Joyce Byers, yeah. played incredibly by Winona Ryder. Incredibly, came I'm out of so, nowhere and broke. From I am so happy to see her doing something that's just a, a bit outside of what we're used to seeing her do, and she fucking nailed it. When she is is upset yeah. and hysterical and just and and determined, yeah. it just 
it was creepy how much it reminded me of my own mom. Yeah. Like the scenes where, and then there's like the flashback scenes where he's sitting there drawing and she's like looking at his drawings with the wizards and she's like, yeah, those, Very fire, those, those fireballs, they're cute. They kind of look like broccoli. Maybe change the color. <laughs> I was like, that was how my mom used to just kind of throw me bones every now and then. She'd still give me attention, but she had a lot on her mind and yeah. was incredibly stressed out. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just, there's just so much that happened that, that I related to and then... And then just loved this, the storytelling. Well, I mean, you're certainly not alone. I mean, uh, this has become, like I said, a cultural phenomenon, a kind of a runaway hit. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to sweep all kinds of awards come next next awards season. The Emmys were like a week ago. Oh, did, what, did they win that stuff? I don't think so. Oh, did they? I guess uh, I don't watch award shows. But be that as it may... Uh, no, what's important about the Emmys is that in the pre-show, uh-huh. which is now in a video that's gone viral, sure. uh, the things that they don't show on the air when they're just entertaining the celebrities who are taking their seats, uh-huh. that they had like a little musical number where the kids who played Lucas, Dustin, and Eleven came out on stage and performed Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk. <laughs> I can't love these kids anymore. It was so charming and they were so good. And damn, Lucas can dance. And damn, Eleven can sing. And damn, Dustin is charming. So uh, there, there are eight episodes, right? Yes. Okay. And there is another season on the way. Yes, there is. It has been... I have to say, I like I liked it a lot. I like Stranger Things a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to I have to admit, it took me until like the fourth episode for me to finally get invested and sort of say to myself, okay, now I'm in. Oh, wow. It took me a while. Um, for me, it was, it was a very slow burn um, because... Unlike you, I am not a huge fan of that sort of weird television, Twin Peaks, and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And um, and you know, small town America is at, at least for my childhood quite foreign to me. So yeah. I don't really understand. Probably even frightening. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the small town America scares me more than the monster in Stranger Things. I would imagine if you uh, see like <laughs> portraits of small town America, yeah, specifically small town America in the eighties, yeah. As a brown person, you're probably yeah. not so psyched about that. No, not really. Uh, white people in large groups make me nervous. Yeah, <laughs> we're dangerous. Yes. <laughs> so um, I liked it a lot. I think it, it took a while for me to really become invested because it. The, the the show itself is actually pretty slowly paced. It it, it mm-hmm. like it, it doles out information very measured and in very specific ways. And it's not until the fourth episode where shit really kind of hits the fan and pieces start to come together that were kind of handed out in the first four episodes. But it's really in the last final moments of the fourth episode where things start to come together in pieces. And then I remember right at the end of it, I was like, "Oh shit!" And then I started the fifth episode immediately. Um, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'm excited for the, for season two. Mm-hmm. I'm excited now that they built this world, like what else they can do with it, uh, considering the twist at the end of uh, Stranger Things, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil here. Um, I'm actually really excited. And all, all of those child actors are phenomenal. Um, I, I really uh, fell in love with them as, as, a, as a, I believe that they were friends. I believe that they were buddies. Yeah. yeah. Like right from the start, I believe that there was a history there with these kids. Um, but I guess I just, I don't know. I didn't really latch onto it the way the rest of America is latching on. I think you're only responding to how vocal and excited everybody has had, has been yeah. about it. Like if they hadn't been, you would be sitting here saying, I loved it. I loved it so much. Yeah. But because 
all of your social media has been populated by people just going nuts about it. Sure. And and your co-host doing it right now. <laughs> that you have to like qualify it by saying, I liked it, but I'm not as insane about it. Well, I think I think in I think in some way that's true because there's another show on Netflix, okay, called The Get Down. Oh, which I have not yet started watching. You and everybody else in America, and that is a really horrible horrible shame. And I and look, I don't want to play the race card here, but a show about white people and there's a show about brown people and the show about white people does really well and the show about brown people doesn't do really well. Take that for what you will. I am. I you. You can interpret that however you wish. I know what my opinion is, and I, I think. I think if if it was a show about white people, it would it would have been an, a massive success. Mm-hmm. Well, but it can't be as it's a show about the history of hip hop, right? Which the, the 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 way you're excited about Stranger Things in that time and place mm-hmm. is the way I'm excited about the Get Down in that time and place. Oh, because it's the '70s in the Bronx. It's the '70s in the late '70s. In the Bronx, while you, where you were a child, where I was, I was, I think I was three years old when this story takes place. Okay, and my mother and and father were deep. That's where they lived. This was the neighborhood they lived. This is the neighborhood I grew up in. This is the neighborhood I don't remember because I was too much of a baby to to, to remember. Because I think we moved. Uh, because it was a fucking war zone, and so we moved to a better part of the Bronx. But. I remember my dad talking about the, you know, the, the Bronx uh, burning buildings. I talked you know, my dad, my mom talking about the blackout of the late seventies, you know, and you know, like the Bronx being the birthplace of hip hop and, and, and the place where disco dies. And it's just, I grew up with these stories. I grew up in this culture with these people and everything about this show, everything about this show just, just plucks all the fucking chords. Um, it's, I'm not really nostalgic for it because it's, it's, a, it's a world, it's a neighborhood that I don't have any personal experience in, mm-hmm. but, I, but I was steeped in it because everyone around, all of my elders around me were steeped in it. And so I just heard story after story after story. And on the radio, I'm hearing the birth of hip hop. I'm hearing all of the, you know, the, the, the Get Fresh crew and, and uh, uh, Roxanne's Revenge and all of these songs. And... And the the thing is, I think I think part of the reason, well, other than the fact that I think Netflix really dropped the ball in its marketing for it, because they did a huge push for Stranger Things, and kind of just like rolled the Get Down out. And I don't know if I agree with that because the Get Down has been like a front page uh, recommendation on Netflix for a while. Well, in the same the, way that Stranger Things was. Yeah, except that Stranger Things actually got like media marketing. Okay. On top of everything else. Okay. The Get Down hasn't. I don't. I'm not aware of what Netflix media like advertising well, strategy is because this was all like word of mouth. It was just like people in my Facebook sure. saying you got to watch Stranger Things. Yeah. And it only been out for about a week, but after, at the end of a week, yeah, everybody was screaming about it. Yeah. And then I got invested. And the only reason I haven't watched the Get Down yet, which a lot of people in my in my social media have been tell, saying, mm-hmm. Yo, you, if you're not watching the, the Get Down, you fucked up. I I think I think the Get Down. In much the same way that I think Stranger Things is important, is important storytelling, because mm-hmm. I will give it that. Stranger Things is doing something storytelling-wise that feels fresh, that feels new, that feels like a new way to tell a story in an episodic form. Mm-hmm. And um, and because it doesn't really have the constraints of the major companies, and Netflix is like, do what you want, and it's like, all right, we're going to do it this way, and it just works. 
the get down, I think, is important storytelling for the exact same reason. These are stories that are not being told. And the get down is a little it's a little weird because it part of it is historical time and place. Like these are real places, real people, mm-hmm. um, real events that have happened. Right. On top of that, you have this this story about these burgeoning artists and who are trying their best to just get out of the goddamn ghetto by any means necessary. And what that means for these people is through music. They want to get out through music. And then there's this layer of fairy tale over everything because it's done in this very stylistic way. It's almost a musical in, in its delivery. Uh, it, it was, uh, uh, it's, it's beautiful. I think, I think it's, it's not only just beautiful storytelling, but the way it uses music, both licensed and original mm-hmm. is I think quite profound. Uh, when it, when it's using the locations of the Bronx from, yeah. from that time period, does yeah. 1520 Sedgwick Avenue play a role in this? Does it, do they acknowledge yeah. that? Is that okay? Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, th- not specifically like it's, all of the major hubs of the Bronx are mm-hmm. referenced in one way, shape, or form or another. Okay. You know, because this, this was back when the Bronx was sort of cut into slices and each slice was controlled by a DJ, you know. And, you know, ultimately, one of the, one of the people that we meet who's a major character in this is Grandmaster Flash. Mm-hmm. And his sort of like his protege who... I, I don't I don't think he's an actual person, but it's 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 this it's this fairy tale fantasy story about these kids that could be as real as anyone else in that time and place, mm-hmm. in a location that is grounded in historical reality. It's sad. Um, there isn't a happy ending all the time. Shit just goes fucked up, and there's but at the same time, like you know, they they win these small little battles that just mean everything to the story. Is the blackout of '77 an event that happens? Oh, absolutely! It's oh. A, it, it's 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 the turning point of the it's oh. it's the start of Act Two, essentially. How many episodes? Uh, there's a 90 minute episode, and I think there's six hour long episodes. Okay, yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why. It, it it hurt itself because whereas Stranger Things were small bite-sized episodes, yeah. the get down are time commitments. Like you're sitting down for the very first episode for 90 minutes. Yeah, you're watching a feature. Yeah. Okay. And then every episode after that is an hour. So you're committing time to it. And I, I don't think it does it's it. It's still shorter than Stranger Things. Yeah, but it doesn't feel as accessible. I see. Because when you're sitting down, you are literally sitting down and you're not getting up for a while. I can say this uh, genuinely that I have absolutely been meaning to watch The Get Downs yeah. since I heard about it. Yeah. Especially since people have been talking about it and since you've talked to me about it before we started recording. Yeah. I, I have definitely been meaning to and I just, I got myself wrapped up in Stranger Things, blasted through it. And then that was basically <laughs> all of the TV time I allotted myself for the month because I had other stuff to do. And I've been feeling guilty about the fact you that I haven't to, watched. You don't need to feel guilty. Up. I haven't been feeling, I've been feeling guilty about the fact that I've not yet watched The Get Down, especially right now because I can't discuss it with you. And uh, quite frankly, a little bit racist. 
and also as somebody who has made a career out of hip hop and who yeah. and, and loves the history of hip hop and yeah. has prided yeah. myself on knowing a great deal of the history of hip hop that this show is basically was handed to me by the same medium that gave me this other thing that I've been <laughs> just giving warm awkwardly long hugs to yeah. and I haven't like given it a shot yet no, I, you know what? I'm gonna watch it the, the, I'm gonna watch you know what I'm gonna watch the first episode tonight look the, the beauty of Netflix is that it's not gonna go away you know what I mean you can watch yeah. it tonight you can watch it a week from now you can watch it a year from now it's still gonna be there I know but I should have watched it by now yeah I mean it's the, the good news is is that it hasn't been cancelled um, and they have until next year to either convince Netflix or pitch a second season I really hope it gets a second season right. not not because I love it and I do and not and not because I think it's a fantastic story that that is worth another season because it is but I think and then yeah I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna say it representation matters yeah this is the first time I've seen a show about brown people living a very specific brown and black life that speaks to me that isn't I don't feel less than, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't like, I'm not rolling my eyes about, Oh, here comes the cartoon Spanic guy. You yeah. know, yeah. these are real people with real problems dealing with it. The only way they know how. And, you know, and I just, I just love seeing the birth of hip hop in this point of view and the birth of, of break dancing and the birth of, you know, and how the DJ was King and how that slowly starts to devolve until the MC starts to become the king. And I just love it. I love it. I love it. I, and I, I, if, if this gets you know, two more people to watch this show, please watch The Get Down. Because the more, the more people who watch it, the more secure they can, they can get a second season. And I really want them to get a second season. And, ju- and just how you love the kids from Stranger Things, yeah, you will love the kids in fucking Get Down. They're, I'm sure I they will. Are, they are fucking hilarious and and poignant and strong and sad and angry and joyful. It's everything. All right, I'm yeah. I'm sold. Like I said, yeah. I will watch. And you don't need to feel bad. And it's not racist if you don't watch it. That's stupid. Well, no, the. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I carry a tremendous amount of white guilt. Okay, that's and that's, that's so fair. I will apply that wherever I <laughs> need be. <laughs> but there is no reason that I that I shouldn't have I've watched it yet. And yeah. I will. I will. I, I'm not even kidding. Tonight, okay. I will. I will watch the, the the pilot. Yeah, it's 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 got it's got a little bit of everything. It's a nice hodgepodge of storytelling uh, conceits. Sold. To the old white man from Iowa. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, I, I do want to. I do want to talk about this briefly, and okay. then I guess we can wrap up because I was late. But um, do you remember? Do you remember like a like? Oh God, four or five years ago, I wrote a children's book. Yeah, I may, I may I may have talked about this online a bunch of times. Was it a steampunk children's? Yes, book? yes, a, it, I do remember. Yes, it's a steampunk children's book, and it it had a couple of false starts. Um, I tried finding an agent to no avail. Um, I tried finding some illustrators to see if I can self-publish. That also kind of fell through. Um, and then I got cancer. And so that had to be put on the back burner. And so this project has been sort of like in the back of my mind for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've decided that I'm going to brush it off and uh, one more time in earnest, try to get this thing 
published, and I'm oh. gonna I'm gonna self publish it. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna say this now so we can tee it up because I'm gonna be talking about it nonstop for the next I guess year. Uh, pretty soon I'm gonna be starting a Kickstarter campaign to fund this children's book, the steampunk inspired children's book called Dr. Cornelius T. Congo, or rather the wonderful steam powered adventures of Dr. Cornelius T. Congo and her bodyguard Maribel. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, I just found an illustrator. Um, oh. I, I, we haven't uh, signed off on the contracts just yet, so I can't really announce anything. But I'm a few days from getting a finalized contract and signing it. And once that happens, you will be hearing so much about it. Well, can, uh, that's so amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to say more, but I don't think I don't think I can. You probably shouldn't. Yeah. But uh, soon and for like the next year. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have kids or you like steampunk or you like children's books, stay tuned for all the information you could possibly ever want to get in on the ground floor on this fantastic project. That's, uh, you know, and that's, it's exciting because uh, I know that this has been stalled for a long time. Yeah. And I know it's something that you've wanted to do for a long yeah. time. Um, and seeing you taking steps toward actually executing this mm-hmm. uh, inspires me to uh, get back to work <laughs> on a children's album that I wanted to make. I know you, I, I, I was so sad when that, when that, when you said you were going to basically put it on permanent hiatus. Yeah. I, I just, I, I couldn't find the time for it and I had other things going on right. and, and there's always other things going on. There's I have to, I have to commit things. entirely to it because I work so slowly. Yes. Yes. Um, and I never really did. A, I, when I say get back to work, I mean, get to work on my children's album. <laughs> right. The most well, I ever did. You I got never one. had you no, got one done, didn't you? Well, oh, I never had any instrumentals. <laughs> you just wrote, I wrote lyrics for one song <laughs> called boogers. <laughs> you know why? Cause kids love boogers. It's true. That story checks out. You know what happened? Like when we were kids, there were, there was so much like stuff that was marketed to children that was gross. Oh yeah, yeah. All you know? like, those mad scientist labs with like slime. I mean, even, even or you the... buy like you buy, you could buy like a licorice rat and then you would chew into it and it would ooze like red jelly. Like, do they make stuff like that for kids anymore? They don't. Make oh yeah, gross. no, no, they still make slime and gross edible and, they, and like teenage mutant ninja toys used to come with a little well, thing they of used slime. To. I feel like they don't make stuff that's quite as disgusting anymore. And I wanted to write a uh-huh. children's record that was all the gross stuff, like a record just about farts and poop and boogers. <laughs> and I wrote lyrics for a song called Boogers, but that was as far as I ever went. <laughs> but anyway, yours is is actually uh, a thing that is written and is now yes. on its way toward realization. And congratulations. Yeah, we're out of alpha and we're moving into beta. That's excellent. Yes. I like yes. the part of our show this month where two middle-aged childless men talked about their projects <laughs> yes. where they're going to create art for children. Well, I mean, I, my, I, I wrote it initially because my, my nephew Enzo yeah. uh, was a wee little lad. And I wanted, to, I wanted to write a story for him that his Uncle Nelson, that he could brag and like, oh, my Uncle Nelson wrote this. Aww. And then he's getting older. Like he's like, you know, starting Little League Baseball. He's got and, a little brother. You know, yeah. But he has a brand new little bar- brother. Uh, and so I'm like, yeah, Enzo's too old for the training. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to abandon that little asshole. I'm going to start fresh with the, with the new one, Max. Tell you what, you write your book. Yeah. You get your book published for Max. Sure. I'll write my record for Enzo. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Cause he'll be a snotty teenager by the time I get it done. True. True. 
Um, I think that's it. Uh, was there anything else I wanted to talk about? Oh, there's one thing I wanted to plug that I was going to talk about in the first half that I didn't before oh, you showed up. Okay. And that was, uh, I just want to send a shout out uh, to my friend MC Lars, who just released a mobile game oh, right. called MC Lars the Video Game. I have not, I have not downloaded it yet. Tell me it about it. It is fun. It is a side-scrolling runner. Um, oh, it's like a nonstop running thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you basically you, you have two you, you have a jump and attack button. Oh, you, there's, there's battles. Uh, no, but I mean you have to like you know hit shoot enemies and obstacles and things like those those types of things. Okay. Like like in the same way that you shoot fireballs as Mario, like that kind. Oh, of Oh, okay. Thing. Sure, a, sure, sure. That kind of attack. Sure, sure. Um, but the the game is um kind of rhythm based. Oh, not really rhythm. I mean the the levels. When you jump and collect, uh, instead of coins, they're Nintendo cartridges. Uh (laughs) But when you jump to collect them, it's timed with the music. And every level, there are 12 levels, and every level is set to an MC Lar song that you actually hear in real time. Oh, that's clever. And so when you play the game, you're kind of, you're responding, like you're not playing to the rhythm the game dictates the rhythm but right, right, is, right. but but the action does coincide with the rhythm of the song and and oh. in some cases especially songs like guitar hero hero that have guitar solos sure. the guitar solos are really fun it's kind of reminiscent of i believe you came over and i showed you a level from um a platformer game called Raymond's Legends yes and every world ends with a musical level yes. where you run and jump and the jumps yeah and the attacks and and everything like coincides with the music sure, sure. it does that oh uh. Which is great. Uh, the game starts off, it's pretty easy. So wait, do you play as, as Lars? You are MC Lars. I am MC Lars? Yes. And nice. Agent Marty, who Marty. is a character who is, he showed up in, um, in a song on his first record. Okay. Um, I believe in a song called Signing Emo. Okay. Uh, he has captured MC Lars and he set a bunch of <laughs> evil record executives after you and you're trying to, you're going to persevere with the, sure. the, your faith and, and the joy that you feel in your music. It's very fucking MC Lars. Is that, it? In that sense, yeah. Is, is, uh, it, is, it, is it the most MC Lars? It's so MC It's so MC <laughs> Lars that when you, uh, when you select the level yeah. or when you do certain things in the game, there are little voice prompts at you mm-hmm. that are like little, little snippets that he sure, recorded of his sure. voice. But like, when you select something like you'll hear mc Lars's voice say are you serious <laughs> and when you finish a level when you get to the end yeah um, and the early levels are kind of easy that gets really really hard oh, it ramps it goes up on. it ramps up but when you finish a level you'll hear mc Lars tell you that was tight oh my god and it's so awesome it gets frustrating because <laughs> some of the, the levels later on yeah are, are become very very difficult and okay. so you'll try over and over and over to 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 beat them yeah which means you'll hear that same song many times in a row Ooh. i don't know how many times i heard flow like poe because it took me like many 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 attempts to get past that level is it is it is it annoying or are the songs good enough that you it's it's enjoyable to I play i mean they're mc lars songs so they're lovable and they're that's fine true. That's and true. uh i i still enjoy hearing them okay because i love his stuff and all right it's it, how, how, mu- how much is it whimsical attitude about things really lends itself to this kind of video gameplay oh, and okay. his songs showing up is is kind of perfect and if you know if it's got like a like a mobile game uh, star system like you can beat a level and get one star or you can try and go back and beat it Ooh. perfectly and get two stars or three stars nice like you can three star every level and you collect stars you can buy different outfits for MC Lars <laughs> 
which I haven't been able to do yet. I've I've three starred one level. Uh-huh. Which um The first one? No. It was it was uh I don't remember which one it was. I think it was Zombie T Rex. No, wait, Zombie T Rex is the first level. Okay. Oh, I uh I three starred space game, the space okay. game level. Um but I've gotten two stars on a couple of them. It gets really hard as it goes on. How much? It's I think it's four ninety nine. That's not bad in the iTunes store. Yeah, and it's given me way more than four dollars ninety nine cents. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Like like four ninety nine is like the upper limit of what I'm willing to pay for something on uh, on the app store. In this in this case, it's it's special too because you know exactly the the creator exactly. It's it's well, I can I mean I can only I mean he's an independent artist. I can only imagine that you know as a large chunk of that goes to him. So good for him. And a, a large part of the theme is about being an independent artist and trying to make it in the, oh, in the world. Oh, look so at that. It's, it's a lot of fun. I really strongly recommend you guys check okay. out MC Lars the Video Game. It's, it's everything you would expect from something called MC Lars the Video Game. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will download it tonight. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally serious. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to say that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's well, look. So it. it's running late. Yeah, because let's you wrap got this here up. late. So this let's is going to be a up. short episode, folks. All right. I know you don't care. No, you don't. But um, or maybe you do. You know what? If you care, shoot us an email at epicpodcast at gmail dot com. That's epicpodcast at gmail dot com. Tell us if you like our short episodes, or tell us if you like our half solo episodes. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything to plug there uh, chappy oh sure let's see we're okay. doing plugs yeah good uh i plugged this in the first half but I'll, I'll say it again on saturday october 8th yeah i will be hosting the pink room burlesque's tribute to mulholland drive sweet at the parkside lounge in new york city okay that's gonna be a lot of fun on Saturday, October 22nd, I will be at Lola's Saloon in Fort Worth, Texas. What? Really? Yeah. I'm going nice. to be performing at a, a mini uh, nerd music festival that is being put on by Beaker, the beloved Beaker and quasi-patriarch of the Nerdcore family. <laughs> I am headlining this mini palooza. Uh, along with other acts such as Richie Branson, Crayon Droids, King Phoenix, Lex Lingo, MCO My, One Up, DJ Robo Rob, B2B, Roosevelt, and Wreck the System. That's Saturday, October 22nd at Lola Saloon in Fort Worth, Texas. Nice. And that's all I've got. Uh, well, I have uh, two things. One, I am doing pub trivia again uh, at a new place and at the same time. Uh, basically, every Tuesday at 7.30, I'm going to be at Wolf Tone in Manhattan. I believe it's in the low 20s. So if you are in New York and are free on Tuesday nights at 7.30, go to Wolf Tone for five rounds of general trivia and I will be handing out prizes as your quiz master for the night. And that's every Tuesday. So uh, go to TriviaNYC.com for links and more information. But if you just want to experience something really crazy on October 6th, um, I'm going to be at Green Ferry at the Red Room. This is going to be an absinthe tasting. Uh, there's going to be several different uh, varietals of absinthe and some some 
20s crooning and some burlesque. And I'm going to be in a dark corner doing card tricks and shell games for all of the patrons there. So that's it for me. That's it for you. Yep. Anything else? Nope. This has been the Epic Podcast, episode 47. I have been your host, Nelson Lugo. I have been your other host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. Be safe, internets. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Epic Podcast. We'd love to listen to you, too. So send us your feedback, questions, love mail, hate mail, recipes, and fan fiction to epicpiecast at gmail.com. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network. And there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe and stream on Google Play. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and more, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and the Epic Podcast on all of your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Yo, Lugo! <laughs> Fuck, yeah, Schaefer. <laughs> Stop, you, I'm wearing headphones. When you yell to the microphone, you're yelling right into my ear. Quick question. If you wrote an autobiography, uh-huh. what would you call it? Oh, man. Uh, tears and Regret, the Nelson Lugo story. <laughs> Clown noses and stale pizza. Nelson Lugo story. I like the first one better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you have one? Uh, I don't. Oh. All I know is that the best title uh, for uh, an autobiography has already been taken. So I don't know it? what I would ever call mine. What is it? What is it? It's Ricky Martin's autobiography. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. Well, he, uh, Ricky Martin, you, as you know, uh, 
came to fame as a member of Menudo. Sure. And then, of course, forged a very successful solo career. Of course. Became yeah. a, a megastar. Absolutely. Um, and came out. Oh, yeah. And he wrote an autobiography. And yeah. His autobiography was just called Me. Now, that by itself isn't so impressive. <laughs> no, not really. But yeah. the Spanish language edition of his book okay. is called Yo. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just a close-up picture of Ricky Martin's face with the word Yo on it. Nobody will ever come up with a better name for an autobiography than that. You do you do realize that yo in Spanish means me, right? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, Nelson. I realize that. Okay. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.